Hello, baseball fans, and welcome to Sully Baseball. This is the podcast where we talk about baseball 52 weeks out of the year. There's no offseason, and I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm recording this on the third day of August 2018 from a Sully Baseball studio in Palo Alto, California, the birthplace of Oakland A's manager Bob Melvin, and just a line drive from Sunken Diamond, the baseball home of the Stanford Cardinal. Well, it's Red Sox-Yankees, and... Man, this first game was uh, it was a little weird because it started, looked like it was going to be a Yankee blowout, then it turned into a complete Yankee meltdown, and now the Red Sox have padded their lead in the American League East. Well, let me just tell you something. I had on friend of the podcast and wonderful writer for WFAN.com, Jason Keitel, was on the show. Uh, I talked with him, actually, just as the game was beginning, we got on the phone, and we we're he's a diehard Yankee fan. I'm a diehard Red Sox fan, but we also have healthy respect for the other organizations. We're we're one to point out when the other side does something right or whatnot. We're 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 both solid baseball fans and, and knowledgeable and, and we have our our different strengths, I think. And I wanted to talk with him a little bit bef- just as the series was beginning to sort of get our thoughts on the fact of the rivalry has been re- renewed in a very cool way with lots of characters and everything. And we talked a little bit about the state of the Red Sox-Yankee rivalry, the future of it, and as he's been on the show literally dozens of times, we meander from time to time and we land on some topics that you probably wouldn't think we'd land on. But we did, and I think it was a fun conversation. So enjoy this conversation with Jason Keitel of WFAN. Look who we got. Look who we got. We got the two best teams, Red Sox-Yankees. We're recording this. They're about to start playing in Fenway Park, the home of the team with the best record in baseball. And we have ourselves uh, a renewed rivalry. Isn't that great? It is great. And, and unlike... Uh, recent wild card vintage. This, not necessarily this series, but this this rivalry in general has more on the line than it would have, say, ten years ago, when the wild card team, the the second place, the also Rams, would have played in a series. Now the team doesn't want to finish second for obvious and obvious reasons. Yeah, I mean the Red Sox and Yankees. They did the two years that they met in the. ALCS, or two or three years they met in the ALCS, 99, 03, and 04. 03 and 04 are the only two years anyone really remembers. But uh, those were two evenly matched teams that I remember as a Red Sox fan, I couldn't have cared less if they were the division champs for the wild card. I could, it made no difference to me. All I wanted to do was get in the dance and you know, hand the ball to Pedro or Schilling or whoever and take your chances. And you're right. I mean, the concept of going to a one-game playoff where you have to burn, you know, my boys would have to burn Chris Sale. You guys would, would probably be Severino uh, would be the guy you would pitch. Or I personally would consider Tanaka, but that's just me. But like, That's actually way. a growing sentiment, Sully, the Tanaka sentiment. Don't yeah, sleep I, on that. I mean, obviously, last year Severino had a had a horrible wild card game, but that was I think that was just a blip because uh, he actually pitched well in the postseason. I'll tell you what I'll tell you who Tanaka is starting to remind me of a little bit. 
uh, because he was excellent in last year's postseason. And I've seen him pitch, you know, we've all seen him pitch very well in the big games. Uh, he's, he has that El Duque quality in that he is good, not spectacular, but solid in the regular season. And then you hand him the ball in October and he's like out. And, and yeah, absolutely. And, and, and the, the, the problem, of course, with Tanaka is, is everybody considers him super delicate uh, because, you know, he had the partially torn UCL. You know, he somehow pulled both hamstrings at one time. Uh, so he's considered delicate. And I think part of that is the fact that he's also not American. I know that sounds, uh, it sounds a bit of a reach, but Tanaka is something of a mystery to us. So, so, so we have to care. Yep, exactly. You know, El Duque, you know, I'm no Yankee lover by any stretch of the imagination, and El Duque used to murder the Red Sox. I mean, he was a Red Sox killer. He was the MVP of the 99 ALCS. Uh, oh, remember, remember him with the White Sox? Uh, you know, it's so funny that you mentioned that. Um, I, you and I may have talked about this, but, but that series, I don't know if you remember that, the Red Sox had, had lost the first two games but I still felt like this was just a year after they were down 3-0 to the Yankees. So they, they can win three in a row. And they were rallying that inning. They were down by one, bases loaded, nobody out. I'm going, this isn't, this isn't, we're going to win this game. And they're going to hand the ball to the side. What? Didn't El Duque strike out the side after that? Oh, I he, can't remember. He, well, I'll tell you, well, just let me give you one piece, one, one, that I'm like, I'm thinking this White Sox team, they're a paper lion. They won all these games in the regular season. They got a bunch of nobodies in their bullpen. And they brought out El Duque. And I remember thinking, that's not fair. <laughs> You're not allowed to do that because I totally forgot he was even on the team. And it's like they acquired him just for that moment. And he came up and he got, he got uh, a strikeout. He got an infield pop-up. And then on a full count... Johnny Damon checked, tried to check his swing, and the ump rang him up because if he did, if he was called no swing, the tying run was going to come in. But they called it right. a swing, and that was it. And the White Sox, uh, you know, never looked back. Uh, but that moment was kind of like I remember thinking, "That's not fair. You're not allowed to use El Duque. He's a Yankee, not a White Sox." <laughs> and it just seemed like it was it was there to torment me. But, you know, Tanaka has that mysterious big game quality to him that El Duque had. And if I were the Yankees, I I mean, this is not a knock on Severino, but in a one-game playoff, I'd, I'd, I'd err on the side of Tanaka. That's just my that's my take. Believe me, I want them to lose. But, you know, I'd love the Red Sox to face Oakland or Seattle in the division series. But, it's you know, it's uh, it will... If it is a one-game playoff, obviously the Red Sox would hand the ball to Chris Sale. I mean, that, that would just be – uh, presuming that he's healthy, um, they're going to hand him the ball. But uh, I would say Tanaka for the Yankees. I know this is not an apples-to-apples analogy, but bear with me for a second here. If you if – you, if you, a lot of people who follow baseball obviously follow football. If you were to take a look at Peyton Manning, he looks like he comes from a football factory, and he certainly played like one. If you're starting a team, you certainly couldn't go wrong – with Peyton Manning. But if I had to win one game, I would go with the far more diminutive Joe Montana, who looks like your local postman more than an NFL quarterback. He just had that thing going for him that Tanaka has. Whatever that is, I can't explain. I don't think you can quantify it with numbers. It's just a trust thing. 
And I'll tell you something that's weird, and this is something we all fall into this trap when we kind of try to project the postseason. We say, like, oh, if they get in the short series, they'll face this big game pitcher, that big game pitcher. They'll have to face this stud twice. And that, while that may be the case, how many times did we look at, like, oh, how would, you know, how would a team face Maddox and Smoltz and Glavin and they wind up facing them and wind up beating them? Or saying, like, oh, they're going to have to face, um, you know, Clayton Kershaw twice in the series. And Kershaw winds up getting spanked. Or someone who is a wonderful regular season pitcher who has really been underrated in some of his big game gifts has been Corey Kluber. Well, if you look at that, in he's three times in his career, he's been handed the ball and saying, okay, if we win this game, we move on. Or in one case, we win the World Series. And he's lost all three of those games. And the longest he won in any of those games is five innings. And this right, but what, what's happened to David Price against the Yankees since he came to Boston? Who's going to claim it? You know, and you take a look at who some of the big game pitchers, I mean, who are like, someone like Charlie Morton comes in and becomes a superstar. Or like we mentioned El Duque. Or, you know, Madison Bumgarner, who is a very, very good pitcher in the regular season, who becomes Christy Matthewson in October. Right. And, you know, John Smoltz was a bigger big game pitcher than Greg Maddox ever was. Yes, he was. And Maddox was an infinitely better pitcher in the regular season, but he lost many big games. And he Maddox, was my favorite, Maddox is my favorite pitcher in the history of baseball, Sally. I loved him that much. He had 90-minute games. I loved watching Greg Maddox pitch. It was, like a, it was like going to a baseball carnival or something. It was just something out of the twilight zone. It was beautiful. And you know, we, remember, we we forget that Randy Johnson went through a period of time where he got clobbered in the postseason. Well, more yeah. than a time, really. They yeah. considered him a scorecarded. Yeah. And so when we take a look at like playoff matchups, like I was about to, I was about to be guilty of doing that exact same thing, saying like, you know, in a short series, you're going to face Chris Sale twice. You're not going to win that series. Like, well, maybe you will. That's right. And Kershaw analogy was very good, Sully. Absolutely. Who can explain why Kershaw has his his burps in the in the playoffs? I can't. He's the single best pitcher of this decade. Absolutely the best pitcher of this decade. And yet has been has had at least four and I can maybe count five postseason games where he was a catastrophe. Not just not just not just outdoed. Not like, oh, he lost the game three to two and there was a bounce here. No, getting clobbered. And so when you, when you sort of look at the matchups, like, an, oh, you know, Houston's going to have Verlander and, and Cleveland's going to have Corey Hoover and the Red Sox are going to have Sale. All those guys I just mentioned have had moments where they've had their asses kicked in the postseason. The, the, the absolute Right in an ink, easiest game to ever predict in the history of baseball was game one of the 2012 World Series, where the Tigers started Justin Verlander, who was on fire. He coming a year removed from winning the Cy Young, probably could have won another one. And the Giants, who were staggering into the postseason after a long playoff, had to start Barry Zito, because he was the only pitcher who had any rest. And he, right. Barry Zito was a mess. You know, Verlander right. versus Zito, and I, I don't remember thinking, well, if you're going to face Verlander, you might as well throw your worst pitcher against him. Zito won. Verlander got clobbered. 
the Giants went on to sweep. No, no, I don't. You know, I don't want to add on. I don't want to pad your ego with references to 2004. But that Cardinals team, you beat. I think won 105, 107 games, something like that. You guys smoked them. And they, in the world, was, and their lineup was stacked. Their lineup was stacked. They had Larry Walker. They had Albert Pujols. They had Scott Rowland. They had Jim Edmonds. They had Reggie Sanders. And this is when all of them were putting God knows what into their body. And they couldn't hit a barn door with an oar in that series. Nope. You guys you guys were slapping them around like a cat would against a three-legged mouse. It was horrible. Watch. Yeah. You guys murdered them. No one remembers that series. No one remembers it. Because the Yankee series mattered. Once you beat the Yankees, it was a fait accompli. It just, it just was. I, I used this analogy with you before, but uh, bear with us listeners. But I've always equated the the World Series to the gold medal game of the 1980 Olympics, which exactly. nobody remembers. No one remembers it. Exactly. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's had Finland or Sweden, some Scandinavian team. No one remembers that. There's no clips. Because all anyone remembers was, do you believe in miracles beating the Russians? That's right. And all Very anyone true. remembers about uh, 2004 was, you know, the League Championship Series. And I have to tell you, just from my personal point of view, it was a little bit of a respite because the that series against the Yankees was so emotionally draining. I mean, it, I, we were just like, I mean, it was wonderful for me, but it was still like, oh, my God. I mean, you, nobody had bones in their body. And, and the World Series was just over in five days. And it was sort of like, okay, I'm glad there was no suspense because I really don't think I could have handled any more suspense. No, and can consider the suspense you've had, consider the heartache you've had even without that series. 1975, I mean, just, just on and on. 1986. Yeah. You out. Yeah. You've got the champagne and the trophy in your locker room. I mean, yeah, of course. But I tell you, the greatest thing that happened because of that, and and, I'm, and it, it, it has allowed me, like the Red Sox had a tremendous face plant at the end of the 2011 season where they just absolutely collapsed. It was one of the worst collapses they've ever had. And they came up really, and they, they lost Game 7 of the League Championship Series in 2008. They lost a really frustrating fourth game against Houston last year, where if they had won, it would have forced a winner-take-all game, and you'd take your chances. Um, I've been able to react to those games like, ah, oh, man, I wanted to win that, but then move on with my life. It isn't like, oh, my God, it's compounding. I mean, that's where it's like, you know, I no longer wince when I look at the 86 World Series. It's just like, oh. Well, if you're watching the Red Sox Yankees, you'd be wincing right now. <laughs> oh, what, what, what did I miss? What's happening? Two guys, the first two guys got on when the three-run homer. No out. There you, there you go. Well. Uh, <laughs> but that's a big baseball story. This game doesn't mean jack. I mean, I mean, it does, but it doesn't. You know what I mean? I'll tell you what the, uh, um, this is a game of Sox are starting Johnson and the Yankees are starting Sabathia. Well, that's advantage Yankees. I mean, you look at that and you're like, yeah, that's advantage Yankees, that game. Um, I'm eager to see what Eovaldi is going to do. Uh, let's, yeah, let's, let's not talk about the past. Let's talk about the present right now, because what's really cool is the two teams are good, and but they have personalities that aren't just imported superstars. They have homegrown or at least acquired from minor leagues players that you can point to and say, hey, the personality of the team is 
Judge or Gleyber Torres or, or Anduar or Severino or on our side Benatendi and Betts and Bogas and uh, Jackie Bradley, yeah, absolutely. Jackie Bradley and, and, and Devers and all these guys who are like, you know, it, it doesn't feel like a bunch of mercenaries, like we just picked everyone else's team. Which right. makes, you aren't a bunch of assembled parts, you all came from the same factory, yeah, of course. Which makes it so much more fun. Because, yeah, you know, both of our teams have an MVP in right field that's homegrown. Absolutely. I think it, and who are going to be there for a while. So the judge versus bets comparisons can start to boil over. And that sort of thing, like Bogarts versus Didi, and, you know, all these different, you know, Ben Tendi versus, you know, whomever you want to point to, it's like, yeah, these are... These are guys that we can point to and say, that's our guy. We didn't steal him from anybody. And that's the sort of thing that when you think about the first teams that you and I grew up with, where there are guys like Munson and Nettles and Canella, and we had Fisk and Rice and Yastrzemski. They're like players you instantly think of with the respective teams. That makes it more fun than if they're just a star that they brought in to be a hired gun. Absolutely. And I think I think that the acquisition look, it's easy to say hindsight as we know is, is flawless, but that that's part I think of the karma that, that we got the horrible karma we got with that A Rod thing. It, yeah. it was just much. It was too much, it was overkill. And yeah. uh the base I'd made him pay. And I think the uh for the Red Sox it was that twenty eleven team that was just nothing but mercenaries and everything on that team and the and the Carl Crossers and the Adrian Gonzalez's and they're eating chicken and playing video games. And, you know, John Lackey's being an A, and sort of like. Oh, that was the fried chicken team. Oh, yeah, God. That was, and 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 that that led directly to the Bobby V team, and then the the, the single weirdest thing in Red Sox history happened, which was they said, "All right, screw it. We're not going to be good. We're just going to sign a bunch of guys to two year deals and build from our farm." And they won the World Series that year <laughs> with that team. But right. that, that's like the weirdest team for me emotionally because I love them. But none of them were there for longer than for a couple of years. I and mean, that team was just there to be a placeholder. And they're there to be a placeholder for this team. But the team is that we're going to get some short-term guys and build up through the farm. And we knew there were the Bogarts and the Betts and, and Jackie Bradley. We knew those players were in the farm. And so the Boston Strong team bought the bought the franchise a couple of years of goodwill because of the World Series, but now the team has emerged. And I think for the Yankees, look, at you know Lisa Swan and I have been extraordinarily hard on Mr. Cashman over the years. i got to give the guy credit because he's assembled a good team, a lot of it through the farm, but through some smart trades too, like D.D. and Glaber Torres with the trades. And this is a team that Yankee fans can love again, but feels different than the Jeter teams. It's a new identity, and they're going to be there. For, this team's going to be together for the next four or five years. Cashman was doing what he was told to do for all these years. He acted as basically the Bill Folks and Steinbrenners. What he's done the last two years is amazing. Now, I, I haven't spoken to Lisa about it. If she refuses to give Cashman credit now, then she's just being stubborn because what right. he's done in 2016 has been masterful. If I remember, I talked with her last year, and I think she grudgingly uh, said that she admired what he was doing. I think she, I think 
I think the ice broke a little bit, you know, and when you've, when you've been trashing someone for so long, I know it's hard to, uh, it's like, what's his name? Uh, was it Skip Bayless? Who's the one who can't stop trashing LeBron no matter what he does? I know. I know. <laughs> to refer to one game in Miami against the Mavericks in 2010, I'm like, stop it, Skip, please. He's, he's, you know, he, took a, he took a Cavaliers team to the finals this year. I would have been the seventh man on that team. That's how thin it was. And he got exactly. into the finals. Exactly. Yeah. He won two games against the Warriors without Kevin Love and Kyrie Irving, who were both hurt. Are you kidding me? That's how shit he did. Yeah, and, and now he's building a school that's sending kids to university tuition free. Now let's trash right. that guy. Let's trash yeah. that guy. Even Trump won't go after him. That's how testing on LeBron is. Uh, yeah. Anyway, but like back on task. I mean, yeah, I'm looking at yeah, three nothing Yanks. Okay, fine. Um, let me let me just talk a little bit about you know this weekend is a four game series the Red Sox um, I can tell you who I personally think you know as of right now I'm recording this in the second day of August the pitcher that I think is most responsible for the Red Sox being in first place right now with the five and a half game cushion that they have uh, is not Chris Sale is not Craig Kimbrell is not uh, Rick Porcello it's uh, Sonny Gray. <laughs> well said. Well said. Can you imagine? I mean, it's that you have this dark cloud. You have this eeyore in the middle of your rotation, where every five days you're like, "Oh, we're going to lose." <laughs> I mean, yes, the, the game that happened yesterday, which should have been an absolute gimme game where the Yankees were playing Baltimore. The Baltimore Orioles are basically a minor league team now. They've traded away anything. Everyone except Adam Jones was traded, and Adam Jones wasn't even in the lineup. And they smoked Tommy Gray for seven runs in less than three innings. And the Yankees wanted coming back. I mean, they fell just short of a comeback. But, you know, you can't lose. And the to the Orioles, the the Yankees are six and six against the Orioles. The Red Sox are ten and two against the Orioles. And when you look right. at right there, there's your four games. Right, there's four games in the standings where you know if you look back and you miss the the division by a game or so, you're going to look at those losses to Baltimore more than you look at those losses to Boston. And Sonny Gray has been into the bullpen right now, but. This guy is Ed Whitson 2.0 for the uh, for Yankees. I know. And then just adding salt to the wound, you had this, this stupid Twitter controversy uh, that sprung out of his awful performance yesterday. I'm sure you heard about that. Where but he made show, show, the people, show the people in what, 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 what happened. So. Yeah, he uh, he apparently, when he was with the Oakland A's, he had made an inside joke with an African-American teammate, and when he was questioned about it, uh, he said that uh, he learned from his experiences and, and doesn't hide from it. You know, typically opaque, and then his Twitter account was uh, temporarily canceled. He said he had no control over that, and the, it, it was just all typically bizarre Sonny Gray. Nothing about Sonny Gray has been right since he got here. Uh, it's like that series, Stranger Things. It's like something, something from the upside down world is in front of throat. He doesn't even know. He could be bleeding from his nose and just sort of like. Exactly. 
every time he pitches, he bleeds from his left nostril. And, 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 but you see, the thing is, is that he doesn't have that ability that uh, Eleven has, that where he can sort of <laughs> twist, his, twist his head and snap the necks of the people all around him. It's, <laughs> Except the Yankee fans. Only he only does it the Yankee fans. Yeah, exactly. Oh my God! You know, and he was so popular in Oakland. You know, because he was he won a bunch of games. He won postseason game. Won the game that sent him to the postseason in 2014 with a complete game. He was a really popular player in Oakland and one of their more reliable pitchers. You know, albeit a little injury prone. But and man, I mean, this is. Again, when you try to pro- when people try to project like who won the trade deadline, who hadn't made the best deals, you, you can never project like how the person's going to respond to the new team. And I didn't think Sonny Gray was going to be Tom Seaver, but I thought he was a competent pitcher. I mean, this has been. I mean, I was listening to. to <laughs> Waldman and Sterling yesterday while I was driving listening to the hate listening the Yankees game. And Susan Waldman was getting to the point like she was like you could hear her muttering under her breath, How much more do we have to take of this? You know, we we just can't do you know, it's like it's 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 got to the point where even the announcers are just sort of being like, This is this has to go. This has to go. Well, you know, you made the Ed Whitson reference, another one with another lovely acquisition was Steve Trout. You know, people think of it as Northeast elitism, but it's not. When we say we don't know how people are going to react to come to baseball monoliths like New York or Boston, we're not talking about it in terms of us being uh, some sort of enhanced superior breed of human. We're just talking about the fishbowl of attention that they're going to receive that they didn't receive in places like San Diego or Oakland. And yeah. some people just respond to that. People mistake it elitism, but it's not. It's just that people don't know how to walk into this kind of tornadic media experience. I, I, I'll give you. I'll give you an analogy which goes the opposite of the Northeast. When players come to the Lakers, uh, the, the Lakers are the biggest team in Los Angeles. They are the team that dominates the headlines, dominates the tabloids, it dominates the discussion, and there are many stars who wind up in the Lakers who don't fare well. And I think that it's because the you if you're used to playing like, you know, I'll just take one, Carl Malone. Or, you know, when he was you know, or Gary Payton. When mm-hmm. they showed up to the Lakers, they're used to Utah. Where right. the media is a guy named Clem. And right. you know, there there's there's no 24-hour, you know, nothing's open 24 hours in Salt Lake City. But, you know, it's like, and, and you know, you're the only game in town in Utah, and it's like, oh, you're, you know, you're a star, you're liked, and, and you come to Los Angeles, which is not just a big city, but the Lakers are, even when they're bad, are the center of the sport's attention. And That's right. I've seen players not respond well. I mean, what's his name? Oh, no, the, the, the better example of the Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard. Right. When he went there, he was supposed to be Shaq 2.0. People were mm-hmm. saying, Star, book the parade. We've got Yep, when he and Nash got there, yep. That's right. But they, I mean, but Nash was hurt and everything, but Howard was supposed to be, this was supposed to be the biggest acquisition since Shaquille O'Neal. Right. And Shaq handled it great. You know, Shaq was like Reggie coming to to the Yankees, but 
Dwight Howard was like was Ed Whitson. It was such a it was such a disaster, and and like it was it was clear halfway through the first season that believe me, Dwight Howard jerseys were on sale. You could get them for a very very reasonable price. And because they don't realize when they go to these media vortexes, Sully, that they have to worry about more than just the way they play on the court or the diamond, and they're not used to that. Now. I'd imagine a college football coach who was coaching in, like, you know, Pullman, Washington or something, goes to the South, you know, to coach in, like, the SEC would have the same thing. You know, the, the amount of attention. When you go to a place where their people's lives are that sport. Exactly, like the Clinton Tide football, yep. Yeah. Right. I mean, that, I mean, that's what it is down there. And then the, when cities like, you know, Boston, Philadelphia, and New York, and to a lesser degree, St. Louis, it's a, it has a friendlier vibe, but it's certainly a baseball-crazy place. Um, some people are not, are not built for that. And Sunny right. Gray may have a city like Oakland, where it's not even the biggest team on the bay. You know, it's not the biggest team within, you know, a 40-minute drive. Uh, and, you know, he'd be able to pitch well and be kind of anonymous. And now he's, uh, you know. And you know what? You know, it'll, it'll be Kenny Rogers is what it'll be. He'll want to be traded to the Padres or to Cincinnati or to Pittsburgh, and he'll and he'll just relax and be just fine. You know, before we hang up, so I want to ask you something. As a pure, incorruptible Red Sox fan, I'm yep. curious to get your how you feel about the U.S. team now. I mean, not 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 that you think any less of him. Obviously, what he's done is incredible. But do you still take pride in what he's done, even though he did in Chicago, or do you see him as a separate entity now? Uh, I look at it as a similar way that I look at Francona. You know, that Francona, you know, managed to. In, well, I actually am more impressed by what Francona has done with the Indians and what Epstein has done with Chicago than what really? they did with, with the Red Sox. And I'll tell you why. Um, it, when Epstein came in, he inherited a team that was already a 90-some-odd win team. You know, a lot of the pieces were there, and Dan Duquette will never get the credit he deserves for some of the pieces that he, that he brought in. You know, okay. pieces like him. He brought in Manny. He brought in Pedro. He made the trade right. that brought in Varitek. He made the trade that brought in Derek Lowe. He made uh, many, many of these deals were done by Duquette. And okay. one, of his, one of his last moves was Damon. And so, he, you know, and he laid down the foundation and changed a lot of the culture of the team. Like when he arrived, he was like, "Where are our Dominican scouts? Oh, we don't have any. And why are there? Why is this team entirely white? Well, that's the Yorkie legacy, you know. It's like, no, we're changing how we're doing stuff here. Now he was a blowhard. He made you know every, nobody liked working with him. He was a he was a uh, you know he was an atomic bomb wherever he went. And eventually, you know, he burnt so many bridges that they had to push him out. But Theo right. Theo came in and. I'm not taking anything away from him, but he inherited what was already a good team and then put in the final pieces to put him over the top. Francona mm-hmm. took over a team that got to Game 7 of the American Championship Series. I mean, lest we forget that if the 
Red Sox could have held on to a 5-2 lead in the eighth inning with one out and nobody on. Brady Little would have had the Red Sox in the World Series. Right, right. And if they had gone on to beat Florida, we'd be looking at Grady Little as this kind of folksy, homespun guy. Like, oh, we all love Grady. He finally won our championship. And Terry Francona would be this obscure bench coach for the Phillies. Mm. And instead, I mean, Grady was an absolutely bizarre in-game manager. I mean, everyone who thinks the Red Sox just fired him because he left Pedro in for too long, don't understand. No, we were watching that all year. He was he was just like almost as egregious as leaving in Pedro until he had rigor mortis in his arm with a. So Frank Cohen going to Chicago and, and and erasing that on has that didn't impress you? Uh, I think well, let me, because not But I'll say, look, but on that topic, I'll say that. You know, Francona inherited that team, and he did a wonderful job. But when Francona went to the Indians, the Indians were a mess. And when Theo Epstein went to Chicago, he inherited a a bad team, a non-competitive team. And so what they did with those teams and building them up from the ground up, uh, I think enhances what they did in Boston in a way. It's like, yeah, we had someone, and they, they could do it they could put in the, the finishing touches like they did in 2004 and in 2007, or they can build it from the ground up. So I don't, I mean, I have nothing but warm feelings for Theo Epstein. I have no, I have no ill will. He, he was the final pieces of the, the puzzle there. And he, and I have more admiration for him that he was able to build a championship in Chicago from the ground up. And I think I have a, a more respect for Francona as well, because he didn't just inherit a good team. He was able to make it. He was able to uh, uh, turn a Cleveland team around that was kind of moribund when he took over, and has turned him into a, a regular participant in the postseason. Gotcha, gotcha. I was just wondering if you considered Epstein uh, a semi a, a pseudo member of the family anymore, or if he's just gone from out of sight, out of mind kind of thing. That's all. Um, I look at him the same way I would look at. You know, Tim Wakefield or Jason Garantek. He's a he's a face and a name from a championship's past, and I have warm feelings about him, and now it's time for championships of the present. You know, it's like, let's, you know, I mean, I would assume that there were players and coaches and GMs from the 70s that, you know, you looked upon and, the, and from the 90s championships that the team has moved on, but you still have, you know, warm feelings about them. I know, I... I don't. I certainly don't have ill will towards any of them, and he helped deliver championships. and And I think his success elsewhere. Um, I don't look at his success in Chicago and say, "Oh, we should have kept him," uh, because I think it, I think it's time to move on to Theo. Um, I always felt I always had a bad taste in my mouth how things ended with Francona and the Red Sox, and because I was such a fan of Francona's, and I'm so happy that he's. Um, a championship manager. I mean, he was one of the main reasons I was rooting for the Indians in that series because I wanted to see him win in Cleveland. But I Absolutely. Think- Even when Frank Bona used to call in WFAN talk to Mike Francesa, it was, he was impossible to dislike. Just impossible to dislike Frank Bona. Yeah, he was, he was, and he just sort of had this, he, he, he loved his role. He, he seemed like a, I never met the guy, but he seemed like a good guy and, and a, and a, and a fun guy and a guy who knew 
He had respect and love for the game. Obviously, he was father, but was an all-star as well. And and he just is an impossible guy to root against. And so I love Francona. And so, you know, Epstein and Frank, I, I have a rule. If you played on a championship Red Sox team or were involved in one, I have no ill will towards you. <laughs> you know, it's right. You know, people who booed Johnny Damon or Manny Ramirez are wanted to stop it. Stop Of it. course. Of course. No, I totally hear you. I totally hear you. Yeah. I was just wondering if you if you followed them or, or considered them or, or kept them close to your heart anymore or they were just part of the past and you only think about the present, that kind of thing. I, I, I don't dwell on the past. I mean, yeah. 04, 04 is still my favorite team because of what it meant emotionally. You know? Right. It's, it's weird. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of turning it back around to you. I mean, you've seen, I mean, I'm not going to count the, the teams in the 70s when you were probably a little kid. I'm talking about, like, the recent championships, you know, starting from 96 and everything. I'm sure there's, I'm sure the 96 team is probably the one that you have the closest affinity to, right? I mean, that's probably Absolutely. the one. Absolutely. Yeah. And... There are some weird names on that team who played in the World Series, like Mike Aldretti, you know, <laughs> and uh, David Weathers, and um, you know, and wasn't it wasn't Andy Fox on that team? I'm just trying to think of players who are like obscure, riding the pine, you know, and right, and then and I would imagine a team like the 2000 Yankees must be a weird one for you when you look at like they had like Glen Allen Hill. And Jose Canseco, and you're like, and, and Denny Nagel, and you're like, oh, man, we have Denny, you know, Denny Nagel has a World right. Series ring, you know, Bobby right. Mercer, Bobby Mercer doesn't, but Denny Nagel does. What the hell's going on here? You know, you're at home for nothing. In case you're wondering. All right, you know what? I'm probably not going to watch this game. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is there? Do you rain out? Pouring at Fenway. Pouring right, right now. So, yeah, I'm going to do a rain dance. Um, mm. But uh, the uh, is that do you, are there any players like that that you every once in a while stumble on and go like, holy cow, that guy played in a World Series for the Yankees? Did I just yeah? I, the first thing that comes to my mind is Mariano Duncan at 340 that year in '96. <laughs> really, Mariano Duncan? I just you know yeah, there's certain incongruities that came with that team, but you know everybody remembers Joe Girardi's triple. That was the moment that. Finally, bridge 1978 back to the glory years. You know what I'm saying? It was back to the future. That's, I was that's the I was, yeah. I was in New York. I was in the stadium, but I was in New York, and it was it was electric. It was absolutely yeah. electric. Yeah. But, uh, oh, yeah, I see it. Four nothing. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> anyway, this was, yeah, just to put a cherry on top of this series Sunday, this is a series the Yankees need to win three games because – not only because of their place in the standings, but because we're not facing sales. So if yeah. you guys get a, a three out of four, I think you guys will, will win the division. I know it's silly to say on August 2nd, but I, I, I feel comfortable saying that. Oh, I, I, I'll tell you what, as a, as a, as a unabashed Red Sox fan, I want to split. I mean, of course I want a four-game sweep, but I want to split. Yep, a split would be great for you guys. Perfect. Because there's only six head-to-head games left after Sunday. And right. if they split and the Red Sox are up by five and a half games with only six head-to-head matchups, it would be not impossible, but it would be really, really hard 
yes. picked up five and a half games, four in the loss column, with only six head-to-head matchups left. And so and I know what you're going to do. That Thunderdome wildcard game. Yep, absolutely. And uh, and let me tell you something. Um, the Mariners are a weird team. I'm thinking about the wild card, and right now, as it stands right now, it looks. I mean, unless the the Astros do a historic face plan, it looks like the wild card team is going to be whoever is in first place in the East. So be the Boston or New York will face right. either Seattle or Oakland. Um, right. Seattle is a weird team. They're very hard to figure out, and they because mm-hmm. King Felix is terrible this year. Robinson Cano is suspended, and they went on a winning streak. Um, right, and they have that guy Paxton. If they hand the ball to him, you know that's what you don't want. If you're in a one-game playoff and you're looking up, and James Paxton is pitching for the for the Seattle Mariners, you right. wet your pants because that's a that's a potential hundred-win season up in smoke in one game. Yep. The Oakland A's, I'm out here in the Bay Area right now, the Oakland A's are the strangest contender I think I've ever seen in my life because they are just a bunch of people you look at like, it's either a bunch of minor leaguers you never heard of or, am I high or is that Edwin Jackson? Wait a minute, is that the same Jed Lally? Wait, that's the same guy. So it's a combination of, of minor leaguers and guys who you thought had retired four years ago. Right. And they, every once in a while, they will just have a, an 11-run outburst. Mm. And you'll look up and go, God, Chris Davis with a K just hit two homers. How did that happen? Right. And so those are the types of teams that in a one-and-done game, I'm terrified of. Because they, they have nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Nothing. And that is why, I want, if the Red Sox win the World Series, I do believe Sonny Gray deserves a full share, and should, and should get a World Series ring from the Red Sox. Your rain dance is working because there's a series of thunderstorms heading right to Fenway, so you might get your wish. So, but this is a, yeah, I, I think a, a split to me would mean status quo, and the Yankees have to gain gain ground if they have this series and they can't gain ground. And that's a disaster for them. Agreed. Agreed. Should be what interesting, you, buddy. What do you think about the? Uh, um, I, I think it's interesting that the neither the Red Sox nor the Yankees made a blockbuster move. They just made a bunch of cosmetic moves that were probably the smart thing to do. You know, like the Yankees got a little bit of bullpen depth and picked up Hap. That's it, J Hap. Yeah, and. Um, and then the Red Sox got, you know... Speaking well, of which, I mean, Kinsler, that's that right now. Yeah, you know, they got Kinsler because they're, you know, Pedroia's not coming back. You know, he's hurt. And so they needed a good, solid defensive second baseman, so they got one in Kinsler. And then they picked up Rivaldi, who is, you know, he's not Bob Gibson, but he's he's a, a, a competent pitcher who you're just asking, you know, can we get eight starts out of you? And, yeah. and I think that both of those moves... You know, they weren't sexy, you know. They, they were like they weren't, you know, Machado, you know. But they were. They were like, no, that's what they need to do. That's what they need to do. And neither team rated their farm system, so they still right. Have well, the only, the only reason the trade deadline was sexy in New York is people kept pimping the uh, Jacob Degrom to New York Yankees idea, and it was never going to happen. 
No, that wasn't going to happen, but I still can't believe the Mets. I mean, I can't believe they didn't trade Zach Wheeler, for one. You know, what value is he? You know, he's going to be injured but by the time I, you know, by the time I finish this sentence. But, uh, you know, they, they were kind of – the trade market was so weak for starting pitchers that mm-hmm. Jacob deGrom could have got them three, three building blocks. Mm-hmm. And this is a team – like, this team's a disaster. You wrote a great piece on uh, FAN about Mickey Calloway and what a catastrophe he's been. And, you know, it – it may uh, it may behoove the Mets to make him a one and done manager. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine. But some of the stuff they've done, when you've got guys scoring on sacrifice flies to second base, when you've got them batting out of order in the first inning, I mean, he, you know, in his in his, his his initial press just probably was so bizarre. I mean, it, it was surreal the way he was talking about how he's going to love these players so much until they love themselves. I mean, it was like something out of a dream sequence, and and he's. He just seems flat out inept, like he was not ready for this. And that happens. Sometimes you hire a guy, and this happens to be baseball specific, but it happens in football and basketball. You hire a guy prematurely. Sometimes guys like Bill Belichick are better at their second crack at head coaching or at managing. It just happens that way. A lot of great coaches and managers became great their second time around. Francona, he was with the Phillies first. He didn't, he didn't do that Absolutely. great. How about Joe Torrey? Joe Torrey was a was a disaster. Yeah, I mean he had he had that one good year in Atlanta, but I mean other right. than that he was like he couldn't do anything with the Cardinals. He couldn't do anything with the Mets, right. and he was clueless Joe when he came in. Right, you know yep. that, that's which is also I'll just say totally parenthetically one of the reasons why I find it agonizing that Willie Randolph can't get a second chance because um, you know it's like you know he. he He's a baseball lifer who has managerial experience. You know, let's, I think he can get, take another shot. But that's neither here nor there. I have, I'm going to let you go in a second, but I want to ask you this question. There is some Are you talking about the racial thing, Kelly? Um, I'm not even going to necessarily go there. It is, okay. just, it is, it, it, it makes me scratch my head. Like, you know, I, I never understood why Chris Chambliss never got a shot. I never understood why Willie Randolph only got one shot. And there's some people who are downright bad managers. Like, how many times is Jim Riggleman going to have a job? I mean, Jim Riggleman keeps getting hired over and over again. And it's it's not like he's, you know, John McGraw. You know, it's all man. You think of the teams, the great teams managed by Jim Riggleman. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, you know, really? Willie can't got a team to gain seven of the league championship series. He can't. Get another sure. chance, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I have a question. But on that topic, sure. uh, there is a free agent out there who is floating around, and that would be Mr. Joe Girardi. Now, I, you, and I were on having a discussion. I believe it was last year when they fired Joe Torre, where or Joe Girardi. I'm sorry, they fired Joe Girardi. Where I said his landing spot should be the St. Louis Cardinals. I thought that would be the ideal place for him. Great organization, lots of talent. He's a Midwestern guy. Um, you know, but do you think he should take over the Mets? Yes. And I wrote a column that's saying as much. Absolutely. He's, he proved, you know, he's, 
He's one of the few guys that won manager of the year, manager of the year and got fired at the same time when he was with the Marlins. Uh, he's proved to work with kids. I, see, this is the narrative I didn't understand. If the Yankees didn't like Joe Girardi and just wanted to get rid of him, then just get rid of him. Don't make up narratives. They were talking about how the players didn't like him, about how he couldn't connect with younger guys. That was all nonsense, Tully. For whatever reason, he pissed off the wrong person. I don't know who it was, but he did it, and he got fired for it. And that's fine, but don't make stories up. This idea, the Yankees played their asses off for him last year. Remember how they made up for his botched call with Cleveland? By winning that series, I mean they they absolutely adore Joe Girardi. But you know, I forgot if it was Pat Riley or who said, eventually your voice runs thin in an organization after a certain number of years. Maybe it was time for Girardi to go. I didn't understand the move, but I think it'd be perfect for the men. Yeah, I think I think it's a no brainer. In fact, I would do it now. I would do it right Agreed. now. I, would, I mean, think about what that would mean. I mean, the problem is, Sully, is the Mets are headless right now. Remember, Sandy Alderson had to step down because of cancer. So they're run by this weird triumvirate of Richardi and, 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 and uh, Omar Minaya. And, you know, it's just it's a strange situation right now. All the more reason to do it. All the more reason to sort of say, hey, we'll be happy. Who's the trigger? Who makes the call? You know, it's got to be the Wilpon. Yeah. They're in top of Sully. All right, man. Well, look it. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a fun August. It's going to be a fun September. It's going to be, hopefully will be a long October, uh, and we we'll probably won't see the, the Red Sox, the Yankees play in the ALCS, but maybe they'll face off in the best of five division series. And wouldn't that be interesting? That would be, and hopefully we get a chance to chat over it. All right, man. Hey, um, uh, keep up the great writing, man. You're doing great work. Thanks, buddy. And, uh, and it's WFAN.com. All right, thanks, Jason, for being part of the show. And it's funny how he mentioned to me that the Red Sox were down 3 nothing or 4 nothing early. And I was like, ah, well, we're going to lose this game, but uh, well, maybe we'll win two more. And how it turned around into a bizarre Red Sox laugher. And now all the Red Sox have to do is win one out of three games. And I don't know who's pitching on Saturday. You could be pitching on Saturday because they had to use Sessa as a starting pitcher, and Jay Happ has like has you know foot and mouth disease or whatever that is, and Sonny Gray's taken out of the rotation, so they're probably going to have to bring a minor leaguer up to start on Saturday in a pennant race. All the Red Sox have to do is win one game, and then you can look away saying the Yankees uh, stood pat. They couldn't go anywhere. That's wonderful situation if you're a Red Sox fan, which your pal Sully is. So, anyway, look at uh, Jason's stuff uh, at Jason Keitel on Twitter or go to WFAN.com. And for me, go to SullyBaseball.com. Like me on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, YouTube, Twitter, Stitcher, Instagram, YouTube. Did I say YouTube? I'm everywhere. Uh, you can be old school. Send me an email and info at SullyBaseball.com. The music is by Ted Thacker and Patrick Kaliski. Talking about the renewed rivalry with WFAN's Jason Keidel. This has been the Sully Baseball Podcast for the third day of August, 2018. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully.